Welcome everyone to Montica's Spotlight series. I'm Andy Mackin. Uh, Chris Damasi's over in Europe at the moment getting ready for his wedding, so he won't be joining us today. And instead, we have Montica's Amit Nath. Amit, welcome. How's it going? Hey Andy, yeah, I'm good. I'm very good. Just enjoying the New York summer in uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. We've only got a few more a uh, few more weeks of it left, but uh, soaking it up while we can. Absolutely, and I'm I'm joining you in that endeavour. I'm dialing in from the great state of New Jersey, just across the uh, the Hudson River. So um, yeah, look, let's let's just jump straight into it. Um, in one of our research uh, meetings that we have several times a week internally, um, you put up a chart that was pretty interesting and I thought we could kick it around for a little bit and just discuss it. I, I think it would be interesting to our listeners. Now, this chart was from uh, Nielsen and it was the statistics um, around US television viewing mm. um, for July 2023. So, you know, hot off the press. And it basically showed that for the first time, um, linear TV viewing has fallen to below half of all mm. US television usage. Um, and then at the same time, streaming um, has hit its maximum level. Well, not maximum, but the, its highest level so far and at around 40%. And within mm. streaming, you know, you've got YouTube at 9%, Netflix at 8%, Hulu at 4%, Prime Video at 3%, Disney at 2%, etc. So um, in a sense, it's not surprising that that's kind of the trend, but in another sense, it, it does feel like, um, you know, it is noteworthy uh, that, that linear TV has fallen to below half of all viewing for the first time. So yeah, step us through that. And what, what do you think's kind of interesting about this space and, and, and as, as with respect to how it's evolving? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's that trend, as you as you noted, has been sort of something we've been observing for you know five, ten plus years in terms of cord cutting and and um, consumers looking to go over the top and stream rather than watch by appointment television. Obviously, Netflix was a leader in the area, but um, you know while um you know viewership you know for the last several years and it's been a little bit confusing viewership of linear television has been you know imploding but the dollars allocated to this type of um entertainment has has remained more or less stable and so the dollar and they're, per, they're advertising dollars right that's right that's uh, yeah, exactly advertising dollars so, uh, so i think um the view, view, viewership has been falling and now and now we've actually broken through the the 50 percent point and i think that 50 percent point is 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 important because at the same time, while advertising dollars have sort of just been, you know, trickling lower, sort of very, very, very slow melting ice cube for, um, you know, traditional lines of, of television, we're now starting to see them gap down much more significantly. If you, if you pick up, um, if you pick up some of the uh, the latest filings from uh, Disney, who owns ABC, which is effectively the major broadcaster, or you know what we call free-to-air television in Australia, um, both internationally and domestically, advertising has fallen by about 20 to 30 percent year over year for the last couple of quarters, um, which is something that hasn't really we haven't really seen it move that violently 
um, before. And so it's kind of so you, all so you com- think it's you think it's sort of really starting to crack now. Like you think we're right at that tipping point now where where dollars well they previously weren't following viewership as closely as you might expect. You think mm. now they've started to. Yes, I, I do. I, I think that's that's true. And I think I think it's it's been an education of the market. You know, Google and um and YouTube have been educating the market and sort of, you know, they've brought Nielsen along and you know demonstrated ROIs, you know, I think on the, in some of the latest uh, data from Google, they sort of, they, they, they did an analysis and they said the ROI on their connected television was 40% higher than linear television. And also the reach of YouTube is, is now also larger than connected television. So if you're an advertiser, you get more bang for your buck and also you reach more people, um, that's a that's a that's a pretty compelling argument to uh to sort of shift dollars to to um to streaming and I think the final piece of the equation that sort of has come about is this is the Hollywood labor strikes, um, you know given that's all scripted content and a lot of YouTube's content is um unscripted, they're actually seeing a a bit of a boon for for their product for their product offering, and. Several ad, um, advertising agencies or executives from the advertising agencies have noted they will be committing 10 to 20 percent more dollars with YouTube in the coming autumn, you know, which will, uh, which is just a few months away um, than they did last year. At the same time, they're going to be reducing what they give linear television by 15 percent, which kind of marries up with some of the, the the data we're seeing from reported filings but but that's that's a very very significant splintering of of television ad dollars into the digital realm which obviously is a is very very positive for for YouTube so we've got viewers in, increasing their allocation to time on streaming which probably doesn't surprise anybody um, and that's coming at the expense of time allocated uh, watching linear TV. Uh, then within streaming, um, you know, we've you've got your YouTubes, your Netflixes, your you know your Disney's, Prime, etc. One of the comments you made um, again in our internal research meeting um, that I wanted to dig into was just around how like YouTube has a cost advantage. Um, and I guess Prime does as well, but it, it really stems from um, the cost it faces for mm. hosting versus the cost, say, a Netflix or a Hulu or a Disney mm-hmm. faces for streaming. So just just step us through that advantage there. Ab- absolutely. So so linear TV has enjoyed perhaps one of the best monetization models of of all time. It was a you know if you if you were a content owner like a like a like a Disney or um or um Discovery etc Paramount you were able to make twenty sorry you were able to make thirty to thirty five forty percent operating margins on um, on your linear TV business now with streaming the business is just inherently much less profitable and the reason one of the major reasons is because you have to pay cloud providers to um, host and transmit your content to individual viewers rather than having it distributed by a by a cable um, you know a cable under you know in the in the house 
cable to the to the, to the house or or a satellite dish, that business at scale, which is um, Netflix, is a 15 to 20 percent operating margin business, so about half or less. <clears throat> so th this is a this is a very very tricky situation for legacy content owners who are looking to compete in a streaming world because they have to give up you know 40% margin business and they and they have to and they're going to pick up a 20% margin business now given the names that you highlighted um you know your Netflix your Hulu your, your Prime Video Disney Max the list goes on and on um if they're all going to look to stream their own content there's no there's no you know there's no um efficiencies of scale um and also they have to basically go to a hyperscaler or to a cloud provider to provide that service and so this is the cost advantage that um that we had that we discussed is that if if you are a google and you own youtube or if you are an amazon and you um you own you know prime video channels then the cost to you of hosting or the cost to you of your own cloud so the gross margin on 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 um, the cloud offering that the hyperscalers have is about 65 percent that's the amount of money they make when they when they allow customers you know when they sell their product to the customers and so effectively they have the cost to them is about 35 cents in the dollar versus what it would be to a um the user of the product. And so if you're a Hulu and you're competing against a YouTube, just in terms of 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 the profitability of um of that um of that offering, you're at an extreme disadvantage. And so that's uh, that's that's one of the one of the core reasons or kind of one of the core uh, competitive advantages that the hyperscalers have. Yeah, so let me let me just um try to play that back to you. So uh, the advantage here comes from the fact that the for a digital streaming service that also happens to be one of the major cloud providers, that's really nice because one of the major costs of digital streaming is the cost that you would otherwise be paying to a cloud provider for the hosting and transmitting of the content, as you pointed out. So, you know, Netflix would have to be paying a cloud provider. Um, Hulu would need to be paying a cloud provider. Um, but YouTube has the good fortune of being, you know, under one roof, under the same roof as GCP or Google Cloud platform. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the internal cost of that service is about a third. It's about, you know, 35 cents on the dollar compared to um what you know a netflix would need to be paying for the same service right exactly exactly and and what's also interesting is that um you know amazon and also google um are looking to aggregate the um the content providers or you know what they what they offer and what they have actually been able to do specifically with paramount in the case of um amazon and also youtube they charge the content owners 40 percent 40 50 percent of the top line so if you're paying um you know ten dollars a month for instance for your 
uh, Paramount Plus service and you picked it up via you know YouTube um, primetime channels, then Google will take five dollars of that and then they'll take care of all of the um well they'll take four dollars of that and then they'll take care of the end-to-end delivery of your content um you know some of the advertising and they'll also connect you into effectively two billion potential customers because youtube has more than two billion monthly active users versus you doing it yourself so that that really speaks to the well two advantages really that youtube has one is um the sheer size of their audience um, means that they can really act as a really powerful distributor mm. of third-party content and then at the same time they have that another advantage which is this this cost advantage in that you know hosting and, and streaming services for them cost about a third of what it's going to cost anyone else so you've mm. got that sort of double barreled advantage for youtube there right exactly and so and so if if you if you're hosting for instance if you're um, disney plus and you're you're hosted by aws amazon service and and you're paying amazon a dollar and amazon is like well that's costing us you know you know we're making 65 cents and a dollar on that but um we think there's a strategic there's strategic value in having scale content on our platform to bolster advertising business or to kind of attract users or or basically just um consolidate the, the the industry and then and then you know build economics off the back of that they could just say to um to disney instead of paying us you know a dollar for this why don't you just host why don't we just host this for you and just do it um you know and and we'll just make it into a service let's 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 do uh let's do your let's let's become your cloud provider of choice for streaming and we'll distribute it into our, into our user base. And I think this is the, the rub, both um, um, Disney plus and um, a, a few other streaming services, Netflix are reluctant to do this because then they lose the access and the data and, uh, and um, the relationship with their end customer. And so this is what the sort of the to and the fro is. And, you know, they're okay paying more. Well, I don't know if they're okay paying more, but they are paying more because they believe that long-term the customer acquisition costs and the ongoing um, lower margin will compensate them by some other way. I I think just given how fragmented the industry is, it's unlikely they're going to be able to hold out for forever because it is quite a significant cost advantage that the, that the hyperscalers have. Um, and also just the expertise in terms of advertising, digital advertising, and also just the the scale of their customer base and their ability to market and sell into it. Yeah, absolutely. So then maybe just before we finish, I just want to sort of zoom way out again and and sort of just reflect on this cost advantage point that we've been discussing. Mm. So again, it's if if you have your own cloud, that's really neat because it means that while you know everybody else, all your competitors who need to pay for cloud services to do well <laughs> substantially everything these days, 
um, especially as it pertains to AI. But, um, <laughs> you know, they're basically paying 100 cents on the dollar for cloud services, whereas if you have your own internal cloud, you're paying, um, you know, a third of that. So that's that's really nice. Um, there's, in the Western world, there are, the three major hyperscalers who all have clouds, obviously, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud Platform. And then I'd also throw in um, Meta as well. They, they, they're not a cloud provider to external um, companies, but their cloud, their internal private cloud is absolutely enormous and, mm. and world-class. So you can sort of throw them into this bucket as well as having the same cost advantage. Um, and, you know, we, you and I have sort of discussed this several times over the last couple of years, but um, one area where that's really advantageous, we've just we've just spoken about how there's an advantage for YouTube there in terms of like cost of delivering streaming. Another area where this, this cost advantage um, really means something, I think, is in the area of research and development. And so, like these expenses for these four companies alone are enormous. They're, you know, something like, you know, around 35, 40 billion US dollars per year each, right? That's what they spend on R&D. Um, and by the way, just for those who are interested, um, that spend for each company is about the same as what Australia spends nationally on defence, like every year. And so each yeah, of these companies staggering. are spending like the, the, the entire Australian defence budget each year just mm. on R&D. So talk me through um, just how you kind of piece that together in your mind about this advantage from having access to your own cloud at a third of the cost of what everyone else needs to pay, especially in a world in which your R&D budget is running at, you know, 40 billion US dollars a year. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty incredible um, position that the hyperscalers have created for themselves. I mean, they've, uh, you know, they were early to, to identify cloud. Um, and just given the magnitude of the investment and given the multi-year investment that's been undergoing, as you've noted, like, you know, spending... Um, Australia's defense budget, and I think I think um, you know those major uh, big taking alphabet, um, Amazon, Apple, Meta, and um, and Microsoft. They think they invested about 200 billion in R&D last year alone, um, which is equivalent to about 80% of their combined profits, um, and 30% and, of all. And, and a portion of that is 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 humans, obviously. So this isn't. We're not saying that that whole all of that, you know, 150 to 200 bill is is you know internal cloud spend a lot of it is human right. engineers but there there is a portion obviously which is actual oh, cloud usage absolutely i think i think the the um the uh the the just the innovation and just the 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 focus on creating um and progressing and advancing um you know the digital infrastructure of the planet is is paramount to to these companies it's, it's a it's not like they've they've got a you know they've captured a resource and they're just looking to um to milk that um they're actually extending and and broadening and deepening and enhancing their competitive advantages around it and so 
what does it do? If if you think about industries that are better served by, uh, you know, by in the digital sphere. So if if there is a business or if if there's an industry that, you know, the distribution or the access to a customer, um, or even in the case of streaming, literally operates within the cloud or within some type of a compute fabric, is better um, is better achieved at scale by a consolidated entity such as a hyperscaler, then you're going to naturally just land in you know one of these four highly privileged um, businesses. And so, given they are able to sell that service for three times the cost that it costs them, if they identify a large market into an end user or find an industry um, that they can access, they have a huge cost advantage out of the gate because they can, the cost of their um, cloud for themselves and their own product offerings is a third of what it would be for a competitor to do. So that, that's a that's an incredible advantage across a broad range of industries, market segments, and um, and and product offerings. And and in this new AI world, it, it it's it's that advantage is is only likely to be compounded and extended and grown. Yeah, I was going to make that same point as well. Um, just to you know, before we wrap up, if it is true that going forward, the call it the compute intensity um, of R&D is increasing and sort of IE, the human intensity is sort of decreasing, but the compute intensity is increasing to the extent that a lot of the innovations in the future are actually discovered by AI models um, and, and fewer are discovered by actual humans, then if that world is true, and there's evidence to suggest that it may well be, then um, what it says is that there are four companies in the Western world who can chase down those new innovations at a third of the cost of everybody else. Or said another way, if you're not one of those four um, companies that we mentioned, then you have to spend three times as much to chase down those those same opportunities, uh, and and that puts you at a competitive disadvantage. So, look, long-winded way of saying, <laughs> clearly we think there are um, real advantages uh, to the hyperscalers, and and we include Meta as well, given their private cloud. Um, we've obviously talked about those advantages in digital streaming, um, but then we've also sort of elaborated and and sort of expanded the the um the aperture to also take in the the advantages associated with um research and development as well um so anything else or should we uh leave it there and and wrap it up for this month yeah i think that's great it's a good a uh, good discussion good summary of uh, of how of how we how we're looking at the world absolutely all right well um Thank you very much, Ahmed. Thank you for filling in for, for Chris as he prepares for his wedding. So um, uh, until we speak again. <laughs> <laughs>